Hey, what's up guys? Welcome to the Honest Youth Pastor YouTube channel, the channel that helps believers use biblical discernment in all aspects of life. Today, we're going to do that one of my favorite ways. We are going to be looking at a sermon and we're going to be reviewing it. And if you're new here, you're like, what is that? That makes no sense at all. That's not why I came here or subscribe to this channel. Well, if you are new here and you're not sure what that is, let me walk you through it really fast. Each week, we walk through a variety of different sermons by a variety of different pastors looking at three specific things, whether it's a conference, whether it's a church, whether it's some wherever they're giving a sermon, three things we look for. One, do they open the scriptures? Two, do they exegete those scriptures using context and culture? And three, do they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? We don't really try to ignore methodology altogether, uh, try to ignore, um, you know, worst pastor, best pastor, anything we know about this pastor, right? That's not what these are about. Basically, it's just looking at the sermon and saying, what do we know about this pastor from the sermon, about their presentation style, and doesn't include those three things um, that we think should be in every single sermon that uh, you listen to. Now, I think it's th so important. I actually have down in the description a downloadable PDF guide free for you. It's the sermon review guide that I use each week in my own church, as well as when I watch these sermons. Uh, or when I get the chance to watch these sermons beforehand. Uh, and you can download that uh, for yourself as well for free. There's also some links down there for some resources we have, such as our uh, Apostles' Creed Children's uh, children's Church, or just you can use it for your kids' coloring book to teach them the Apostles' Creed. Uh, and there's a Patreon link down there. If you want to support us monthly and get some perks for that, check that out as well. Now, along with the, uh, the sermon review guide, the other thing that's free is hitting the like button. Yeah, I know that was whatever. I'm an old, I'm an old man. I'm just, I'm allowed to be a little weird. <laughs> Am I? I don't know. Oh, anyway, sermon review. Let's get into that. Today, we're going to be looking, as you probably know by the title, uh, Jonathan Padukadula. I'm sure I got that last name wrong. The point is he's speaking at uh, the Passion 2023 conference, which I, I believe was fairly recently uh, on a sermon called Giving Up Control. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. So I know this isn't obviously Jonathan's home church. I believe that's in Dallas. Um, I think so. And so this obviously isn't his church, but at the same regard, all three things should be included in this sermon. By the way, the reason I picked this one is because it was the first one that came up when I uh, YouTubed his name. This is the first sermon that came up. So this is one we're going to be doing. So here we go. Let's go ahead and hop into it. The sermon itself is 33 minutes long. Again, if you want to watch it without my commentary, link in the description below. But let's not waste any more time. You've already sat here for the three minutes. Let's get into it. Well, maybe let's get into it. If I, you know, I'd push the right button, <laughs> we could. If you are asking, how did that guy... How does that guy get to speak at Passion? That makes two of us, and so such an honor uh, to, to be here with you. Uh, I flew in yesterday uh, from DFW. And boy, are my arms tired. No, I'm joking. Um, so, <laughs> so he's going to be starting off with a story, it sounds like. So when we do these sermon reviews, what we're looking for is sermon build. So let's just keep that in mind as he's starting off here, starting off with, I flew in. Let's see sort of how, how he builds his sermon. Again, this is probably, this part is probably a bit different than how he does it at his home church, but still the same. Um, we can learn a lot from it. To the Atlanta airport, and there was tornadoes near the runway, uh, which is a lots of fun. And then a lightning, lightning struck a plane on the runway, and so they shut down the Atlanta airport, which sent us into a holding pattern. 
a holding pattern, okay? But you can't be at 30,000 feet in a holding pattern. You have to be near the runway, which meant, it doesn't mean we were holding like this. We were holding like this and uh, I was okay, which is a miracle. Because most of my adult life, I've been terrified of flying. I had a really bad experience in the eighth grade and it, PTSD, it just stayed on me, just complete and total anxiety, panic attacks around flying. And yesterday, I'm just thanking God that I'm okay. I can just tell you, like growing up, like anytime I would get on the airplane, the pilot would come on and say, uh, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, today we're gonna ha experience some rough air. And I'm like, of course, because I'm on the plane. Rough air is the only kind of air I know on a plane every single time. And, it, and I would, you get really superstitious up there. Like I'd always pull out the Bible, you know, and you start questioning your faith. Like, wait, am I afraid to die? Like I trusted in Christ, right? 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 Well, maybe I should say the sinner's prayer right now. I'm a sinner, you know. You start reading the scriptures. Like what's wrong with me? I, I believe in you, and then you just, your body starts to respond, you know, palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy, vomit on a sweater already, mom's spaghetti. That's the first joke that landed that he had, but it's a solid joke. So, um, so he's starting off then with uh, the sermon called Giving Up Control. So I think we can already kind of see where this is going. So the sermon is Giving Up Control. So the idea being that obviously the example he's giving us, he had to give up control. So we kind of already make connecting those dots there. Let's see how he uses this story, though, to like go into the scriptures and kind of how he leads us, um, leads us there. Because so he's already got us sort of in, uh, especially if you're at a conference, you, you don't really... Unless you know the speaker's name, which he sort of alluded to at the beginning of this, they wouldn't know who he is. Um, so there's not like this connection they have with him. So now you have to sort of have to build that with the people you're speaking with, especially if you want them to care about your story, about you being in a plane. Because if they don't know you and they don't care about you, they could care less about your story, about you being in a plane. So he's trying to connect that, tell them how he was feeling, tell him, tell them about basically how he was questioning things because he trusts in God, but he's scared to death on the plane. So how do those things two sort of work together? And so let's see sort of, obviously, the sermon build here is he's opening with a story. Let's see how easily we go from story to scripture. One time my wife and I were flying, Monica and I were flying from Dallas to Miami for vacation. Yeah. And pilot comes on and says, there's going to be some rough air. I'm like, of course. Of course. I pull out the Bible. I know what to do. Uh, I start praying and we hit the rough air, boom, plane just like boom out of the sky. And my Bible hits the ceiling, comes back down. Dude in front of me was drinking coffee. It was an unfortunate coffee bath for him. There's a grandmother behind me with her two grandchildren. She starts praying. I mean, the lady was praying fire right behind me. I recline my chair. I just reach back and grab her hand. She like, she opens one eye. I'm like, keep praying lady, <laughs> you know. And then I'm like, wait a minute. No, hold on. I'm a pastor. I'm in ministry. This isn't how I go out. Like, this isn't what takes me down. And then I start looking around us on the plane. It's full of spring breakers. I'm like, what if we're collateral damage? God's like, hey, I just got to do it. Sorry, you got on the wrong plane, you know? As I began to peel back the layers, I realized that I wasn't afraid of flying. I was afraid of not being in control. Because behind every fear is an idol. 
Let me say it again. Behind every fear is an idol. And the reason that is an important observation for me is because that's what kept me from finding freedom in Christ. Now, hear me out, I knew the gospel, I had memorized scripture, I grew up in church, I went to church school for eight years. But when I went into college, I I indulged in all of the things that I had learned to stay away from in Sunday school. I found myself enslaved to pornography, I found myself in addict sex. I loved to party. I experimented with drugs. I began smoking. And what I was experiencing, all of the things that I wanted the freedom to pursue, I became a slave to. And and I was at a club and someone invited me to church and I went and I sat in the back row, hungover, smelled like smoke from the night before. And the pastor was telling a story about a horse a wild stallion that just wanted to be free. And he said in his pursuit of freedom, he had to find food, he had to find water, he had to find shelter from the elements, and all of these local you know, cowboys and villagers wanted to capture this horse, and this was the line. He said he wasn't, well one day, let me say this, one day he became weak, and someone successfully captured him, took him home, loved him, cared for him, provided for him, and this was the line. It wasn't until he was fully submissive to a loving master that he truly experienced freedom. And my heart just said, I want that freedom. And this is the paradox of the Christian faith, that freedom comes through surrender. Victory comes through Submission, it's all backwards. It's different than what the world tells you. Okay, so he's assuming, so again, this is Passion 2023, what I know of Passion. Louis Giglio started it. Um, It's sort of an outreach to college students, essentially. Now, I I think, by and large, the idea of Passion isn't an even, you know, an evangelistic event. Like, it's not like, bring all the unsaved college students uh it it, i think it's sort of this mix of um just trying to hit the broader demographic of college students um so maybe some of them are christian maybe some of them aren't so you can kind of tell that through his story right his story is is basically aimed toward people that grew up in church but are now kind of going like ah you know exploring the freedom that they never had i mean he gives that exactly that's the that's the connection he's trying to make with people in the audience um is if you if this story found sounds familiar to you and you like i went and did all these crazy things then i'm letting you know that all the freedom you think you have is what not actually freedom and then one day you need to realize that and submit to christ essentially i mean that's the long and short of it and so it seems like it's a very broad yet specific message that it's for those people in the audience um, that he's telling that to. So he gave us sort of a, um, well, I mean, I'm sure he's not done. So I don't want to interrupt, you know, make assumptions before we get too far into it. But basically what he said is I grew up in church. I wasn't, I don't think he said he was a believer, but I grew up in church. And then when I had the freedom to do whatever I wanted, I obviously pursued sin is what he essentially said. So then he finds himself in church one day, basically at the rock bottom, not at rock, rock bottom, but he's at the point where he doesn't, He's found that all of these things he thought were going to give him happiness haven't, basically. 
Some of you, you're here and you know the Bible, you've heard the gospel, but you have not found freedom in Christ. And some of you, you're here, you got one foot in the world and one foot in the church, and you got so much world that you can't enjoy the church and so much church that you can't really enjoy the world. And Jesus is calling you to freedom. He's calling you to more. Some of you, you're here and you're all in with him and I just wanna encourage you in that journey. Keep going, we need you, push back darkness. Some of you, you're here and you're all out. Nah, Jesus, legend, myth, science, science, science. I wanna call you all in. Some of you, you're here and you think you're in but you're really out and I wanna wake you up. I'm gonna be in Mark chapter 10. All right, so he said he's going to be in Mark chapter 10. Let's go ahead there. Anytime a pastor tells us where he's going to be, what do we do? Well, if you've listened to these sermon reviews before you know, you go there. So Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be. Uh, okay, that's interesting. It's the teaching on divorce. Let the children come to me. It'd be interesting to find out where he's Ah, uh, I bet he's doing rich young ruler. I bet that's what he's doing. All right, let's see. Turn with me in the scriptures. So Mark chapter 10. D.L. Moody says this, the world has yet to see what God will do with the man fully consecrated to him. Where it says man there, read mankind. The world has yet to see what God will do with someone fully consecrated to him. I wanna talk with you about what keeps us from finding Freedom in Christ. Uh, the rich young rulers, the first sermon that I ever preached was on this story. I never preached it out of Mark 10 until this week. I, I would usually go to Luke 18. It also shows up in Matthew 19. Matthew tells us that he's young. Luke tells us that he's a ruler. All three of them tell us that he was very wealthy. This is the OG, like celebrity pastor, if you will. He is an influential Jew, millions of followers on TikTok. This okay, this is a bit extreme. Like, see this? I was going to give him props for being like, hey, thanks for telling us it's in these other gospels and kind of what they tell us about him. I... He's not done talking yet, but let's just like, he's the OG celebrity pastor, millions of followers. Like none of that is indicated here, bro. Like chill it, like chill. I get you're trying to be relating to all of these people, but there's no indication of that. All we know is that he's rich and that he's young. And we know, I mean, that he is a ruler of some authority, right? I don't, I don't know why sometimes we feel like we have to, and this is, again, this isn't just Jonathan. This happens with a lot of people. We try to make some of this way more connected to people than we need to. We add things here that are just not necessary <laughs> to be like, well, yeah, this is kind of how this guy is. No, okay. So he's a rich young man. He's a ruler. Um, we know that about him. Cool guy okay big instagram account brands are reaching out to him to to rep their products that's this guy everybody around him would have said that's what it looks like to follow jehovah he's got it he knows yahweh we need to be more like him like what source do you have that would even indicate that i mean there, there are i, I guess 
the best I can think of that we, you could try to twist to make it sound like that is that like he is blessed. He's clearly blessed. He's got a lot of he's got riches. Uh, he he is obviously uh, you know over, of some authority, and so in those two respects. I mean, you could kind of pull the narrative from the Jewish scriptures that God is blessing him and is with him, but that's a stretch. I'm just I like the reason I bring that up. This is the reason I'm harping on that. Just so you kind of know, right. Is that sometimes we try to make the text say more than it says. Like it doesn't, I mean, unless you can give some reference to why that is, it just encourages people because people mimic how they hear pastors read the scriptures they do that too so if you're reading yourself into the scriptures they are going to read themselves into the scriptures if you are uh, making it uber literal when it's not like they're going to do that the same thing if if you're adding things in to make it more relatable they're going to feel the freedom to do that too right so the the act of preaching the art of preaching is simultaneously opening up the scriptures and sort of exegeting and digging up all of the reality that's there and teaching that to the people. But as you're doing that, sort of a, a subsequent attachment to that is that they're learning how to read their Bible by the way they're listening to you do it. And so I just don't think we think about that a lot when we're preaching. Um, people will pick up patterns in the ways that pastors preach and either consciously or unconsciously do the same thing in their Bible reading. That's why, I mean, there's people that you can kind of tell who they listen to by the way that they speak about scripture or read it or uh, take notes on it. You can, I mean, for example, you can know a guy or gal that listens to MacArthur versus a guy or gal that listens to Furtick just by how they speak about the scriptures and kind of how they explain them to you. Why? Well, because they've picked up on that a little bit. They're, they're mimicking that. They've learned to do it that way. And so, again, this isn't just about Jonathan here, but just reading things into that, it's just super not helpful. Like, it's just, it's not, it's just not. Let's look at three common misunderstandings that will keep you from complete freedom in Christ. Verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. I don't know why Jonathan's going like so hardcore on this scripture, but he is. Like, it's just like, I feel just by the tone that he's reading it in, it's just like, good teacher, what must I do? Well, you know what you should do. Like, that's the tone I'm taking for the, like, again, I guess this is a good thing to pull out. Not just Jonathan. We all do this, right? Some of the best critique I got early on from people was they were just like, yo, slow down. It's still something I struggle with. I, I, I talk really fast naturally. And so I preach really fast naturally. And so slowing down and understanding how I'm reading the scriptures and how people out in you know the congregation are kind of hearing them by my tone of voice or my speed. <laughs> I'm just like, man, like Jonathan is like reading Mark 10. Like, like there's just this really intense conversation happening here. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. It's one of the most confusing texts in the entire Bible. A very important I believe, for us to understand what's happening here. He runs up, shows a display of humility, falls at Jesus' feet. 
Okay, this is going to sound like nitpicking, but it's not. I, hopefully, you can understand this. I listen to a lot of sermons. I'm sure you guys probably do too. I'm sure I have been guilty of the very thing I'm about to say. Okay, so just so we're all clear here. But way too often, pastors are like, and this is one of the most confusing or most radical or most amazing passages you'll ever read. Do you always notice the most amazing, radical, or life-changing passages are always the ones they're preaching on? Like every passage is the most radical life-changing passage ever. Um, if there's something unique about it, yeah. Like if there's something like, hey, I think we should probably look at this word or this phrase or like how he answers here because it's, it's pretty unique and it makes us sort of think through things a little bit more. Again, and this is, I get it, sounds nitpicky, but it's one of those things where we're like, it's not the most radical passage. It's just like, hey, this is interesting. So this man comes to Jesus, asking what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus says, um, why do you call me good? No one except uh, no one is good except the Father alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these I've done for my youth, right? So it's one of those like, wow, okay. So this guy, that, that's an interesting response to the commandments. He thinks he's kept them all. Uh, instead of being like, this is the most confusing passage. And again, I, I want to make clear, I'm not like dogging on Jonathan here. I'm just saying that like, these are the little nuances within sermons that I think sometimes if you're a pastor, right, we do sort of like just out of like muscle memory because we've heard other people do it uh, or we want to sound like dynamic and we want to like hook people and bring them in. But like, it's not necessary. Let's just walk them through the passage. And he asked the question that all of you want the answer to, what do I got to do to get into heaven? And this is where it seems like Jesus would say, oh, you want heaven? Check this out. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to raise from the dead. Just put your faith in that and you'll get heaven. But it's not what he says, which is really confusing. He says, obey the law. And this is where the guy should say, I can't. I've tried, but he doesn't. He says, I have. What's happening in this text is where, where the rich young ruler says, good teacher, he says agathos in the Greek, agathos teacher, that means uh, intrinsically good person who teaches, not person who teaches well. And so Jesus is going after the idol behind this man's fear, that he thinks people can be good enough to get into heaven. No one's good enough to get into heaven, except one. And we are desperate for So he kind of, hold on. For him. So he sort of usurps his own point here. So I'm glad that he went into the whole, um, you know, kind of going into good teacher thing there. But if Jesus is saying here, oh, where's the passage here? Good teacher. So the man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, which according to Jonathan here, again, I haven't looked at the Greek, but I'm going to assume he's right, means person uh, of good standing that is teaching uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life and Jesus said to him why do you call me good no one is good except God alone you know the commandments and so if his whole thing is he's attacking the idea that this person thinks that everyone is intrinsically good which isn't the indication here it's it's indicating that this man thinks that Jesus is intrinsically good and that he can tell him how to do it because he is intrinsically good which technically the man's right <laughs> um is, and then Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And so it's just interesting that Johnson's like, so he, this man thinks everybody's good. Well, that's not really the indication in the text. 
He's just a good teacher. Not every, I don't know. I think that's a stretch. Let's keep going. So my first point is misunderstanding your role will keep you from freedom in Christ. Misunderstanding your role. What's weird about my fear of flying is when I was in the thick of it, I would rather be flying the plane than the person who went to school and spent tens of thousands of hours in the air flying the plane. I would rather be doing it. But I'm the passenger, I'm not the pilot. You're the sinner, you're not the savior. Okay, your role is you sit in desperate need of a savior. You're in a place where you're like, God, I, 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 I can't get to you without your help. And he who is rich in mercy helps you. I've been sharing the gospel. Like I talked to my friend about passion. It's like, hey, there's a lot of believers there, church folks, people who grew up in church. I've been sharing the gospel with church folks my entire life as a believer. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, dude comes up to the stage after the sermon, goes to Baylor, college student at Baylor, but he's gonna go to, to seminary there. His dad's a pastor, he's a PK. He's got some verses memorized, you know, and, and he's there in church, been in church his whole life, and he is just overwhelmed with anxiety. He is overwhelmed with the mystery of what's next. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what, what all this is about. And we're talking through that. And, and I, just, I just go here. I just begin to share the gospel. And the way I share the gospel is with two questions. And I'll ask you the two questions so that you can be equipped in sharing the gospel this way if you want to. I just say, I think these came from uh, you know, James D. Kennedy. It says, I just said, between one and 10, 10 being certain, one being not so sure. If you died today, how certain are you that you would go to heaven? So just for fun, because there's several thousand of us in here, just answer the question in your mind with a number between one and 10, 10 being certain if I die right now, I'm gonna wake up in glory with Jesus. One is like, you know, I probably wouldn't somewhere in there, uh, wherever you're at, what's your number? Everybody think of a number, okay? This isn't a, I'm not gonna guess it or anything, it's not a magic trick, but what's your number? Think of a number between one and 10, 10 being certain, one being not so sure. He said seven which is interesting because that was my answer when someone asked me that a couple decades ago. The second question, I said, if you stood before God and he said, why should I let you in, what would you say? He said, because I loved him. So I've gone to church my whole life because I was raised in a Christian family because I read his word. N nobody gets to heaven because they were born in a Christian family? Because I, no, no, not because of you, anything. No, no, that, that's just, you gotta know your role, right? You, you're the one that needs saving. You're the one that was saved. You're the one that was drowning in sin, right? That, and, and so this is a church kid. Like this is somebody who's been inoculated to Christianity. Like, don't you understand? If you answered anywhere between one and nine, I, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say, I bet you're not finding freedom in Christ because there's a part of you that still thinks it's up to you. And That's good. That's good. Let's see. I'll be interested. I, I'm just stopping it to say this. I'll be very interested to see if he explains through why it should be a tint of certainty 
because your entire hope is found in Christ and that also being the answer to why you should be in. Like, I'm interested if he'll walk through the process of that. And it's not up to you. He saved you or he didn't. First John 5, 13, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I told him, I said, listen, I'll just say it like this to you. If I give you tickets to the Hawks game in this room on the 11th, courtside, floor seats, and you show up to this stadium and they stop you and they say, well, why should we let you in? And you say, because I'm good. They'd be like, good at what? Basketball? Are you on the team? Like, I don't understand. You know, that, that's not going to get you in the game. What are you going to say? They say, why should I let you in? What are you going to say? Because you got a ticket. And if they say, did you pay for the ticket? You're going to say, no, it was a gift. Somebody gifted it to me. That's how someone enters the kingdom. That's what this guy doesn't understand. His idol is he thinks it's up to his works. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. I'm going to stop there and just say that only shows up in Mark. I think Mark is the, the right gospel to really study this story from. And, and if there's time, I'll tell you why. But, but that right there only shows up here. Jesus looked at him because I always thought Jesus was punking him, you know, like, like he's going to be like, oh, man, you think you followed all the rules, huh? Won't you sell everything you have? Give it to the poor, follow me. You sad? You look sad. That's what I always thought, but no, it says Jesus looked at him and he had pity on him. He, he wants this guy in. He's like, man, you don't get it. I, I want you in more than you want to be in. So that's interesting. One of the things we do want to do, right, as a pastor, and one of the things, hopefully, and I appreciate that Jonathan has done this up to this point, especially when you have a story like this in other Gospels, is pointing those out and being like, hey, that's there. It's told, you know, it's not that it's told an entirely different way there, but there are different um, different things that these different Gospel authors either zoom in on or include or don't include. Um, and so this whole verse 21, and Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, um, is important. Uh, I think at some point, I know I've preached on it. I don't know if I've uploaded it to the channel or not, but I've preached on the same passage. If I have, I'll link it in the description below. Um, but the idea here is that he, he looked at him and he loved him, which is incredibly important. And um, I forget, I think the actual word here for loved him is agape. I'm almost positive. Um, meaning that like there's a very specific love here. In fact, let me just pull it up here while I got you, while I got you sitting right here. Again, uh, an app I would highly suggest is the Step app um, because it puts the Greek here for you as well. But I really want to point this out because he may point it out as well. Yeah, agape. So it's this God, God's type of love, like right. <clears throat> it's not this brotherly love. It's not a relational love. It's not a romantic love, clearly. Uh, but it's this generous concern for faithfulness towards a, a valuing, right? And now Jonathan might go into this here in a minute, but I do want to point that out. Like it's, it's important as a pastor to say, Hey, this isn't another gospel. This word, this phrasing is only used here because it does denote something. And so when, when you're listening to a pastor, hopefully um, you're taking notes and they do call that sort of thing out for you or, or later when you're looking it up and you do find that out, um, 
you can go explore them for yourself. But that's the reason that I point them out. I'm glad that Jonathan's doing it uh, because it, it enables you to know that and see the differences. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is, for, for, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were, were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Very difficult to understand this text in 2023 in America. You have to believe that everyone's looking at this guy like faith goals. Like he, they're, they're looking at him and they're like, he's got it going on. It's like this. It's like the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, what do we gotta do to get into heaven? Jesus is like, you wanna get into heaven? They're like, yeah. He's like, you gotta be fast. And they go, how fast do we have to be? And he goes, you know Usain Bolt? He's not fast enough. And they go, oh, well who then can be saved? That's what's happening, right? And, and Jesus says it's hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, which is really interesting when you're sitting in college and so many of your life goals are to get the things that will distract you from the kingdom of God. So much of what you pray for are things that will distract you from the kingdom of God. Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. It's good news. But he's got some stuff. He says he left sad. There's an idol behind his fear. He doesn't want to give it all up. Fear of surrender will keep you from finding freedom in Jesus. That's my second point. Fear of surrender will keep you from finding freedom in Jesus. I don't want you to leave here sad. Jesus may call you, and he is calling you, to give something up. There's probably not a person in the room right now that doesn't need to hold on to something fast, but rather let it go. And there's a video on YouTube. I've watched it dozens of times. Okay, I mean, it is just fantastic entertainment. You can find it on your own. But it's how to catch a baboon. Yeah, I mean, just in case you learn nothing else, from this message, you're gonna learn how to catch a baboon in case you ever need a baboon, you know? And, and so it takes place like in the jungles of Africa, there on the plain, there's a baboon and there's a guy who wants to catch it. And so what he does is he, he goes to the termite mound. Now, I didn't know this about termite mounds, but it's, they're almost like made out of concrete, really, really hard. Uh, and so he goes and he drills a hole in the termite mound and the baboon's just watching him. They're really curious animals evidently. And he takes this little silver trinket, like a little silver ball or bell or something, and he places it in the hole and the baboon sees the whole thing go down. The man walks off, baboon climbs down the tree, walks up to the termite mound, puts his hand in, grabs it, but can't get his fist out, right? 
put it in the comments if you've heard this story like a bazillion times. I remember when I was a teenager. I mean, this was a long time ago, guys. When I was a teenager, they told that I've heard this story a thousand times. <sighs> There's this piece of fruit, or this is bell, or this is thing, and the monkey puts his hand in there, and he puts his fist around it, and he can't get out because the hole's big enough for his hand, but not big enough for his fist, and therefore, the monkey is like you. You have to let go of the thing in order to be free from the thing that you're trying to hold on to because you want the thing worse than you want your freedom. This has been told a, baz <laughs> a bazillion times. Um, yeah, I but just put it in the comment section if you've heard this story before. I heard it so many times in youth group and at youth camp and at everything youth that you gotta let go of the thing in order to be free right yeah all the time i'm not saying it's a terrible example i'm just saying it's way overused and so the man then walks up to the baboon approaches the baboon baboon begins to go crazy he starts squealing and screeching and flipping it's like he's gonna rip his arm off he can't get his fist out all he has to do is let it go and the man just slips the noose around his neck takes him to captivity. And I wonder, like you don't think that Satan wants to take some of you or all of you to captivity using the thing that you're afraid to let go? You think he doesn't want to keep you a slave to sin? I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's Pornography, or sex, or vaping, or an unhealthy addiction, relationship with social media. I don't know if it's money, or Amazon, or buying things, materialism, a relationship that you came here hoping no one was gonna challenge you on. Ta-da. <laughs> Consider yourself challenged. It's time to give it up. I don't know if it's mysticism, witchcraft. I don't know if you're cutting yourself and you're afraid to tell anyone. You're thinking about taking your life and you're gonna do so quietly. Please don't. You're surrounded by people that would love nothing more than to come around you and help you and carry you in a season. All he has to do is let it go. I think some of us, like a dog to his vomit, we return to our sin, and I want you to know you don't have a behavior problem, you have a belief problem. You need to go back to what you believe, return to the basics, and, and I think that in Christianity, we can really get caught in the, hey, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. You know, what do I not? So this, one thing that came to mind there, again, I've never seen this sermon before, I don't even have the passage to pull up to check the context. But what comes to mind is like even Paul, where he's like, why do I do the things that I do not do? And, uh, or why do I do the things I don't want to do instead of doing things that I, I, I know I should do, right? It's a paraphrase. But so there, there is this contrast. Again, now we, <clears throat> there's no specifics there that Paul's talking about. But the idea is that there is this reality that sanctification is something that happens in people's lives. So it's not, it's not a matter of like, hey, you sin, so you just don't believe enough. Um, now, there is there is a tie, I think, to what he's saying there that's true, but I think we have to like weigh it against other parts of Scripture. So there are things that you need to give up, for sure. Now, are those things you need to give up um, 
as a realization that, you know, God's not in control of your life. You're not a believer. You need to submit that thing and follow him. Or is it something in which you are a believer and you're being sanctified and the Holy Spirit is working on you to really, to like, let go of that thing because you need to become more like Jesus and that thing is holding you back. And I think that there is a distinction here that can be made in that regard. Like some of you need to give up control of your life to Christ because you, you're holding on to it and you've chosen your sin over Jesus. And some of you need to give that up uh, and submit and come to him uh, and repent and turn from those sins and follow him. And then there's other people in the room that are, are, they are believers. And, you know, this would be a perfect point to bring up sanctification, this reality that, you know, there's, there are things that the Holy Spirit will work on you on um, that like, it's not like blatant, uh, blatant sins, right? That you know that are just flat out wrong to do, and you're in rebellion towards God when you do them. But there are things that are sanctification issues that God is working out of your life to make you more like Jesus. And I think that's where the distinction isn't being made here. That it's like a cut, like black and white, cut and dry thing. Like if you're doing this, you're not, you're not, you don't really believe like you should. And you just need to believe harder, or go back to the thing that you once believed, or or you're out. <laughs> And I don't think that's what Jonathan is deliberately trying to say. That's just kind of what seems to be coming across. Now, he may clarify that here in a minute, but that seems to be the thing. It's um, There's not a distinction here being made between belief in Jesus and following him versus belief in Jesus and the Holy Spirit working in you to make you more like Jesus over time. I need to do no R-rated movies, can't listen to Drake. What do I got to put away? Like, what is it? What do I got to turn from? And that's all defense. And I'm just like, what if we go on offense? What if we take the word of God and send it to the nations? What if we share the gospel everywhere we go? I tell people that sometimes, they're like, you can't just share the gospel everywhere you go. My 10-year-old does. He hasn't learned to fear people yet. No, he hasn't learned to be afraid of people yet. So truly, everywhere we go, he just shares the gospel like, Got repairman came in the house last week. He, he said, hey, can I ask you two questions? Should I go, sure. He like thinks he's gonna ask him about HVAC stuff. He goes, between one and 10, 10 being certain, one being not so sure. How cold, it, no, I'm kidding. He goes, how, how much, how certain are you that you would go to heaven? He shares the gospel. We're in the buffet line the other day. Dude serving, serving mashed potatoes, <laughs> lines right there. Was like, hey, can I ask you two questions? <laughs> <laughs> right? And he's just removing all of our excuses. That's pretty cool. I mean, I'll be honest. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. It's going on offense. Can't share the gospel everywhere you go. Paul did. What if we did? Like my hunch is our porn problem would go away. <laughs> you know, like if we just got so busy pushing back darkness, advancing the kingdom, like what if? What if? That's interesting. So, I mean, he obviously talks about corn, but the idea is that if you put any sin there, right? So if you talk about the gospel enough, your sin just goes away. Like, cause you don't have enough time to do the sin and therefore you don't do the sin. I don't think that's necessarily true. There's a lot of people that struggle with a variety of different things. Um, that, that relies on that. That's basically not, that's not overcoming sin. That's just replacing it with something. Right. So if I, if I, um, 
for example, if I watch a bunch of TV and I don't want to watch a bunch of TV anymore and I start sharing the gospel more, well, I'll definitely watch less TV, but that doesn't really address the problem of me watching a bunch of TV. I've just replaced it. Um, it's really time management was my issue. So anything could come in and replace the gospel at that point with just something else because it's just a, t it's a time consuming thing. So I'd be careful saying that like, hey, you know what your problem with gossiping is? You're just not talking about Jesus enough. That's partially true. I mean, that is true. But to go back to his point before about believing, it's the reason you're gossiping isn't because you can you should just swap that out with Jesus. It's because you actually have a heart issue. <laughs> and so you can talk about Jesus a whole bunch, but that doesn't necessarily mean your heart issue is dealt with. That just means you're talking about Jesus enough. And if something else comes along that takes up that, occupies that time, you'll just do that instead. And so really, I think what comes down to... I. I don't know. Let's let him keep finishing. We got about 10 minutes left in this sermon. I did. I'm all over the place with this. Peter speaks up. If you know the Bible, it's like, oh, no. It's Peter. We left all we had to follow you, Jesus. <laughs> okay, Peter. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Peter's like, we did it. We did what you're asking him to do. We did it. And Jesus is like, you didn't give up anything. I took it, I multiplied it, I put it in front of you, right? Like some of us, we get stuck at the cost, but man, there's a real benefit. Heaven sounds awesome. And you know how long you're there? Think about that. I'm gonna raise Catherine in heaven. You know what I mean? It's gonna be fun. Be in a place, no sadness, no broken heart, no mourning, no death, no disease, no mental illness, no despair, no depression, forever. There's a real benefit. And so misunderstanding the cost will keep you from finding freedom in Christ. I could say misunderstanding the benefit, like getting stuck at the cost, like you're, you're just there, you're like, oh man, it's, is, it, is it all cost? I don't think we think about heaven enough. I'll tell you, sin robs you of creativity. You get stuck doing the same things and you're like, oh, it's life. Like me, I was running up the same bar tab at the same club. <laughs> oh man, I'm really living. I'd sit on the tailgate with my best friend and we'd talk, one day we're gonna travel the world, you know? Nah, we just went back to the bar. Back to the club, sin will rob you of creativity. And then I became a Christian, the Holy Spirit began to work in my life and, and my, I found myself uh, training for a, a mission trip to Africa. I had never been overseas in my life as a pagan, but now I'm a believer and I'm, I'm going to Africa and I'm really looking forward to it and I'm going with these, these guys and one of them says, hey, uh, I would love to stay over and do a photo safari on the back end of our trip. Does anyone want to do that with me? And he kind of asked the group, and I'm like, man, I would love to, but I'm broke. And, and um, we had just kind of gone through a real big 
financial change as I was considering ministry and we went from dual income, no kids, to like kid on the way, pastor's salary. So I was like, yeah, I can't really do that. And I'm just thinking this. And, and then he says uh, these magic, the magic phrase. He goes, I'll pay for it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in. Uh, I'll carry your bags. I'll do whatever it takes. Like, let's go. Let's go photo safari. I've always wanted to, you know. And, uh, and, and nobody else raised their hand. It was really interesting. Like, he's like offering this free trip and everybody's like, oh, you know, I got, you know, got, got a work commitment. I can't. I got to do this. And we go over there and we're on the mission trip and I'm asking him questions. Where are we going to stay? Where are we going to sleep? What are we going to eat? You know, and he's like, I bet they'll take care of us. You know, it'll be fine. I just, how are we going to get there? I will fly. You know, it's going to be fine. It's going to all work out. And I just didn't know, you know. I didn't know. Man, we like landed on this dirt runway. We're driving through the jungles. There's no fence, you know. There's animals everywhere, like giraffe and zebra. There's, there's a lion walking on the horizon. where There's nothing man-made. We're just driving. We get to, we're in like this Defender 90. And we get to this canopy of trees and this like Jurassic Park style gate. It opens up and we drive through and this thick canopy of trees and it opens up to this like beautiful garden and there's this like Four Seasons Ritz-Carlton Resort there. There's an infinity pool, like a baboon's drinking out of it. I'm like, I know how to catch you, bro. And uh, <laughs> just in case, you know. And, and we, we go, they take me to my tent, but it like had a slate foundation, a California king-size bed. They used hot water bottles to keep it warm for you at night and we just ate like these amazing meals I just didn't know and I was laying in my bed and I would hear a a lion roar in the distance and I was like, how come nobody else raised their hand? They just didn't know. I don't think we think about all that we inherit through Jesus enough. Like he got what we deserve on the cross and in the great exchange we get what he deserves We inherit a kingdom forever and ever with God. We get God forever and ever and ever. This guy, Jesus is like, follow me. That's the offense. He's like, I'm stuck at the giving up. Jesus is like, follow me. He had the opportunity of a lifetime. He could have been the 13th disciple. Someone we name our children after, Matthew or or, or Luke, Mark, you know, somebody, John, right? Did he just say Luke? We name our kids after the disciples, and he said Luke. I'm sure he is sure it was a slip, but we we would be reading about it like, yeah, he followed Jesus, and he got to witness all the miracles. But no, he just left sad because he has some stuff. He had some trinkets and treasures, some stuff, some status. I got some things, Jesus. I can't. I'm sorry. Don't you understand? Jesus is the man with all the stuff. Jesus is the real rich young ruler. Jesus, cattle on a thousand hills belong to Jesus. This guy leaves sad. We don't even know his name. Just three adjectives to describe him. He's no longer rich. He's no longer young. And he's not ruling anything. He just missed out. He got stuck in the world. I've experienced the world, completely sober, of sound mind, and I want you to know I have experienced something infinitely better in Jesus Christ. Would you get to know him? In summary, 
misunderstanding your role, fear of surrender, and misunderstanding the cost will keep you from finding freedom in Christ. And there's the music. Oh, in case you're new to the sermon reviews, we always can tell when the end is coming because there's like piano synth in the back. And then we're going to do some sort of altar call, which I, I get. Like, I'm not making fun of him. I'm just saying we do it all the time and it's predictable. And it's sometimes emotional manipulation. I'm just saying, just saying. So as he kind of closes up, let's do the sermon build up to this point, right? So because oh, there's been a lot. So he opens up with his story about the plane and being anxious and not feeling in control. He talks about, you know, coming to Christ. He talks about, um, you know, uh, well, he brings up the rich young ruler. There's like, there's some, it isn't, it doesn't, flow entirely well but he brings up his story about not feeling in control he brings up the rich young ruler about wanting the rich young ruler wanting to be in control and not wanting to give up his stuff he talks about uh <laughs> bringing a story of a safari um and the jit the, and the baboon story as well um there, there's just been a lot and it's basically about the general underlying principle has been wanting to be in control, but not wanting to give up that control. But we've kind of went through a whole bunch of stories to do that. Like we could have went to Mark and talked about how the rich young ruler did not want to give up his possessions because he, he, what, what's That's just actually what the text says, right? Disheartened by this saying, this saying of saying, um, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Then it says verse 22, disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So this isn't really even the rich young ruler wanting to be in control. This is the rich young ruler, um, not wanting to give up his stuff, right? He's, he's not wanting to sell all that he has and follow Jesus. He's wanting to come to Jesus ask a question, receive an answer. What does it take to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him, you know, the commandments. He says, I've kept all the commandments my entire life. And Jesus says, okay, good for you. Go sell all that you have and follow me. And he goes, well, I don't want to do that. And so he goes away disheartened. And so the whole flow of the passage in Mark, right? Isn't really a whole lot about giving up control. It's about the fact that he wants eternal life, but following Jesus isn't the answer that he wanted, right? And we're not even talking about following Jesus in the way we're perceiving following Jesus, right? As far as his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, following Jesus as, you know, the risen Savior. Like, we're not even, like, that's not even a perception the man has. He's simply saying, I mean, what the rich young ruler is hearing is, sell all your stuff and follow me, become my disciple as I am a traveling rabbi, uh, traveling around teaching people. And that man doesn't want to do that. And so he goes away sad. And so contextually, it's not even the same same lenses that the rich young ruler and we are viewing it through. In fact, I would argue the rich young ruler is actually viewing it through, um, I don't know if I want to say more correct lenses, but in a, a much more impactful way than we do. Because, I mean, in other, in other scripture, I forget where it is. Jesus says, you know, take up your cross and follow me. And for what they're hearing is, go, like, <laughs> you're going to have to take up a death image and then follow me. Like, it is going to cost you your life is basically what it is. 
And so these images that Jesus gives people in regards to following him, we don't perceive the same way. Like even what he's talking about on stage of like giving up a relationship or giving up um, an addiction or giving up something else. Like those are like comparatively small uh, in regards to selling like literally, like think about all that you have, right? Selling all of that and then following Jesus and Jesus asking you to do that on the spot, right? Uh, and when he tells the people, you know, take up your cross and follow me, right? That idea of like, you're going to, you're going to die. You're going to eat it, man. So does that, is that cool with you? And so Jesus is asking, like, I think even more, far more than what Jonathan's even sort of communicating here in this sermon. And I'm having a hard time. And maybe you're not, maybe again, all of our brains work differently, but I'm having a hard time seeing how Jonathan has communicated this, this truth of what's happening in the scripture here. Uh, even up to verse 22, that's not even talking about the idea that, you know, the disciples are astonished by the fact that Jesus has asked him to do all of this. And then Peter says, well, we've, we've done all of that. And then Jesus coming in with the, yeah, you've, you've done all of that. Um, and the funny thing that he actually adds persecution to the list of things that they will receive. <laughs> Jonathan didn't touch on that, but it's an interesting thing in verse 30 where he says, with persecutions. Uh, and then ends with, but many who are first will be last and last will be first. Uh, we didn't really touch on a lot of that. But it's hard between the baboon story and between the, the safari story and between the airplane story to catch what's what's happening in this text. Now let's see how he ends it, right? So he's got, he's got three minutes here to pull it all together and then we'll sort of end with the overall review. I learned something in my fear of flying. One day I sat next to a pilot. He sensed my anxiety, said everything's okay. I said, no, I really don't like to fly. He said, why not? I said, man, I'm just afraid we're gonna get up there and the wing's gonna fall off. <laughs> He said, how many times have you heard about the wing falling off? Uh, it just seems like it's gonna happen. He says, no, nah, these things love to fly. And I said, well, as a pilot, like when you hit rough air, are you scared? He goes, scared? No, man, like these guys are fighter pilots. I mean, they, they've been like dog fighting their whole life. They were in the, the Air Force, you know, like they are so bored out of their mind, the rough air, that's the only time they get to have fun. I said, fun? He said, yeah, it's fun. He said, we got it, it's fine. Like this thing is made to, to get you where you're going. He said, you can trust the experience of the captain. He said, next time you get off a plane, I, I want you to look at their gray hair, the stripes on their sleeves, the, the decorations on, on their shirt. They're really experienced. For you to surrender your life to someone, you have to trust that they're going to get you to a better destination than you could get to on your own. And consider their experience. So is, is Jesus a, a worthwhile captain? Is he a trustworthy captain? Consider his experience. He created everything you see. Okay, this synth in the background is really loud. Whoever is a passion 2023, if you watch this for the love of all things, like just a little lower, man. Just like, it's just driving me crazy. He spoke it into existence. He created a way out for those who are in slavery. He literally separated the sea so that they could walk through it. 
He unlocked wombs. He provided water from a rock. He provided daily food out of nowhere. He brought down the enemy's walls. He froze the sun, allowing victory. He toppled a giant with a tiny stone. He brought down fire from heaven. He preserved life in the belly of a whale. He kept men alive in a furnace. He shut the mouths of lions. He's fed thousands with a few loaves. He gives the weak strength. He heals the sick. He's made the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the lame walk, and he saved a wretch like me by dying on a cross and entrusting his Holy Spirit to me. And he's available to you. He wants to save you. He wants to give you freedom that you never thought was possible so that you don't have to, like a dog to his vomit, return to the thing that's killing you. It wasn't until he was fully submissive to a loving master that he truly experienced freedom for the first time. Okay. Uh, hold on. What? Oh, there you go. All rights reserved. Hey. Passion Conference. This is a this is a review. This is for critical review. So there's that. Um, wow. Okay, so let's go over it. Did he read scripture? He did. He did read Mark. Um, he did read Mark chapter ten. We did also do some of those verses there. Did he exegete the uh, text using context and culture to bring out the application? I say sort of. Like, it was just kind of, like, and again, this is just me, no critique on Jonathan in general. This is in preaching. This is on Jonathan's sermon in particular. But, like, it was kind of all over the place. Like, the truth that we have in Mark 10 is that there was a, he wants to know how to inherit eternal life. Jesus says, hey, have you obeyed the commandments? He says, I have. He says, okay, well, come follow me. The man said, well, actually, he says, sell everything, give it to the poor, and then follow me. The man doesn't want to do this, according to Mark, because he had a lot of stuff. And so he doesn't. And so the reality is the, the simplest thing isn't necessarily just granting control to Jesus. Does he deserve control? It's this idea that the man said, I want to know how to have eternal life. I believe you, Jesus, are the one that has the answer for that. So what is the answer to an eternal life? And Jesus tells him the answer and he goes away sad. And so if we just cut it off there, because I don't feel like Jonathan really went into, I mean, we read some more of it, but we really didn't like dig into a whole lot more of it. His third point technically was from Peter's answer, um, but we really didn't dig into it. But if we were just cover that, the reality is if we're going to put it in the passion you know, conference arena is that some of you guys are here. Some of you guys are wondering what, what does it mean to inherit eternal life? What does it mean to follow Christ? And you're asking that question. And Jesus says, Hey, have you followed the commandments? You know what the commandments are. Now, some of you are going to go, no, I haven't. And I can't. And you already know that you need Jesus. And you already know that he's the only way to the father. And he, you already know he's the only way to recon reconciliation with the father. And so you have a decision to make. Are you going to believe him and follow him. And then there's some of you that think that you have done it all. So Jesus says, okay, well, if you think you are, you already have done all those things, then sell all that you have and follow me. And then that's going to put a really uneasy tension in you. And you're going to have to decide today, are you going to leave this room as a follower of Jesus or are you not? 
because the reality is you have the option, right? I mean, this is what happens in the text. Are you going to go away sad or not? And so Jonathan does address that. He does say, I don't want you to go away sad, but I don't really feel like we pulled all, like there was so much happening that it was really confusing to follow. His end point was, do you trust Jesus to give him control? That was the idea. Um, I'm not sure that's necessarily the what's coming from Mark chapter 10, um, but I guess you could technically pull it out of there. So yes, you read the text, and he exegeted the text using context and culture, bringing an application, kind of, I suppose. And then he did, he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did mention Jesus' death on the cross, uh, I, I know that last section, he didn't mention the resurrection, but he, I think he did before, but he pointed to Jesus as your only hope. Um, and so this idea of drawing people to Jesus, you want to be saved, you need Jesus. Um, so I'd say he partially, uh, presented the gospel there too, because in the different parts, it was a little confusing. Now, again, as we've talked about before, that, that part there is pretty, that's a difficult part to like, you have to be purposeful in it. Um, and really build it in in a purposeful way to do that. So my overall thoughts were, um, now this is again, my first sermon I've heard from Jonathan um, was that it was kind of like, it's kind of everywhere. It wasn't super clear. Um, but again, that's just me. And so I think he did read scripture. I think the exegetical working away was a little sloppy. And then he did present the gospel. But I think that was a little, little sloppy as well. Um, but that's just my two cents though. So what do you guys think? What did you, what did you take from this? Am I being overly critical? Maybe my mind is just not processing this sermon well enough. Am I being too harsh? Let me know in the comment section below. Hopefully this was helpful to you, right? The, the reason we do these is to work through them and say, hey, was this a comprehensive sermon that was easy to follow along and covers those three things? And I think I've already communicated. I think that we, we definitely read the text and then the other two things were a little sloppy. And I feel like like I'm I'm not really tying this up well, but I just don't feel like it was like a a real put together sermon. But that's just me. Let me know what you guys think below, and I'll talk to you next week.